Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. Uh, I haven't said that in a while, huh? I haven't heard this song in a while. I kind of miss this. This is, uh, yeah, here I am. I don't know what to say. If you've been with me for a while and uh, you had a subscription in your podcast app and you logged in today and there was a new Quarantine Creatives episode, no, you're not imagining it. I am back. And if you're new to the show, welcome. Hit that subscribe button. There will be more new shows coming. Uh, I'll give you a quick recap of just where I've been and what's been going on. Uh, if you've been here for a while, you know this show started back in 2020, kind of right at the height of the pandemic. I did almost 90 shows in the last year and a half or so. And I talked to people all across the entertainment and media industries, really looking at how these industries were adapting to COVID, not just in the short term with you know remote production and COVID protocols on set and that sort of thing, but longer term as well. You know What were the prospects for our industry? And I'm a producer, like that's the world I come from. So I was trying to figure it out in real time as well. Well, if you remember back to June of 2020, the Delta surge hadn't quite hit yet. Things were starting to open up again. And it had only been a year or so of the pandemic. And I think we were all hopeful that things would return really to how they were pre-pandemic. And I was certainly in that boat. I was doing a lot of freelance work at the time, started a full-time job in July of last year. And yeah, things were busy. And then Delta came and then Omicron came. And they both, to me, felt like a storm that hadn't quite passed, almost like we were like in the midst of a hurricane and then like another hurricane just came right behind it. And it was hard to know which way was up. It was hard to make sense of anything. And I think part of the reason I wanted to start up again and do new episodes is that this show has always been about trying to figure out a new way to do things, trying to figure out a new path. And I feel like now, as we're coming out of that kind of third wave of Omicron and heading into a spring and, you know, the two-year anniversary of this pandemic and just all that craziness, we're at a point where we're starting to reset as a society, starting to rethink our values, our relationship to work, our relationship to family. All of that is up for discussion now. And so I want to have this space as a place to have those conversations, to talk to people, some that I've talked to in the past some that are brand new, and just really learn what people are thinking about. I did restart my newsletter, I don't know, four or five weeks ago. If you're not reading that yet, go to heathrosella.com slash newsletter. I try to post every week on there as well and you know, just formulate some of my thoughts about how we are moving into new territory. And one of the topics that's really interested me lately is this idea of being your own boss in some way, of controlling your destiny of knowing who you are and letting that be a brand into itself. And that is what my friend Jimmy DeResta has been doing for a long, long time. And it's why I felt like I wanted to bring him back as the first guest of this new batch. He was on the show very early on back in June of 2020. If you don't know him, Jimmy is just one of the most creative people I've ever met. He is such a genius. He's a builder and a maker and somebody that works with his hands really well, but he's also a filmmaker. He's a YouTuber. He's done a lot of behind the scenes work as well. He filmed a video that became this Nick Offerman DVD of Nick building a canoe. And Nick was really one of the people that helped Jimmy and I connect in the first place. 
Nick has written extensively about Jimmy in a couple of his books. And Nick was the one who encouraged me to reach out to Jimmy when I was at this old house. So I've known him now for probably four or five years, and I just always love talking to him. But I really am excited about this new project he's got. Jimmy and a couple of his friends have a new show on Netflix that just started uh, streaming last week. It's called Making Fun. And I've got to tell you, it is (laughs) one of the coolest shows I've ever seen. And basically, Jimmy and his maker friends take pitches for crazy ideas of builds from little kids. And they say, okay, we want to build this. And it's a dinosaur taco toilet where it's a, you know, a giant, I don't know, 10 foot tall dinosaur that has a conveyor belt that shoots tacos out of its mouth. And then you sit on a toilet underneath it. Just ridiculous things that kids come up with. Jimmy and his pals figure out how to build these things. So it is, it's instructive, it's fun, it's creative, it's silly. It's everything that I think of when I think of Jimmy Duresta. So when I saw he had a new show, I was so excited to talk to him about it. Go check out Making Fun. It's on Netflix, streaming now. So here it is, his second appearance on Quarantine Creatives. My conversation with Jimmy Duresta. Jimmy, I am, uh, I'm thrilled to talk to you, man. It's been a while. Thank you. Thanks for having me back, dude. It's been a while. It's uh it's been crazy. It's been a crazy while. Yeah, it's been it's been an eventful year, year and a half <laughs> since we You last took a talked. break. Didn't you take a break on the podcast? Yeah, it was one of those weird things where I had kind of intended to either like keep it going or record a last show and be done with it. I wasn't right. sure exactly what I was going to do. What was it? Was it, was it because of uh, just because you got busy with other things? Yeah, what, I, what I, I was doing a, I was doing like a side gig that was kind of a producing thing that, that started taking off and taking up more time. And then uh, I got a full time job last summer. And then like COVID was kind of waning and it was like, I don't know if any, you know, does this content even matter? And then it's just, I never recorded the last episode. So I kind of gave myself that opening and yeah, something inside of me just, you know, I think as I've gotten down the pace of the full-time work, it's like, okay, you know what? I think I can make room for this and and I miss doing it. And I miss, you know, know, now that you, you did it, you know, as obviously you did a season or two, now that you did it, you're going to meet people and you're going to want to interview them. Oh, totally. I've, I've, I've wanted to for, for months and just haven't had the time, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's good to be back. What, what have you been up to? I mean, you, you get this amazing show on Netflix just starting. We got the show on Netflix, which we actually booked just before the pandemic started. We shot a little pilot and then going into the pandemic, it just kept getting pushed off and off and off, even right up until, and you, you'll appreciate this. The producers were going to come and do a scout location because we, we rented my property as the, as the location they were going to come and do a scout location. Like, okay, see you Friday. That was at like nine in the morning. And then at six at night, he's like, Hey, what's up, dude. I'm like, what's up? He's like, yeah, everything's been put off. We're just going to wait till, till springtime. So it was like that. (laughs) Was it that That week? Like the, like like when the uh, shutdown started, like that Friday? The shutdown started March. So this might've been like, actually, no, no, it was going into winter. That was what, that was what it was. It was like September. Gotcha. Cause they didn't really have all their ducks in a row. They were kind of anxious to get started and, they didn't have casting lockdown and the concept was still loose. We were going to make a show where we built things for fans. The gotcha. casting was such that fans had submitted. I had I'd done a casting call and fans had submitted a bunch of ideas. So then the whole thing just got literally just the break screeched. And we we're like, all right, well, that, that was exciting. We, we almost did a show for Netflix. Wasn't that fun? And then now it just, we just decided to get it. And so now going into 
exactly one year ago, February, the phone call started, the email started. It's like we have a new producer on the show. His name is Mike O'Dare. Very funny, very, very talented guy who uh, is credit one of the big credits for Duck Dynasty. Oh, he okay, came in sure. Duck Dynasty, like I think year two, but he stayed with it from that point on. But he came in and kind of geared it towards being more of like a family fun thing, kind of like a sitcom, even though it was like based in reality. So Mike really steered the success of that show and stayed on. I think he wrote it out till the end. And when he met all of us, he thought we were all just like a bunch of big kids. And he said, we don't want to do a show where we bring people in because yeah. it's just it's going to be too COVID compliant, too many complications with trying to be COVID compliant. It's like, let's just do a closed set, figure out a way to keep the set closed and not have to go anywhere. That's how he came up with the ideas. Like, you guys are all just like a bunch of big kids. And he said, let me do a show where you guys just act like kids. And <laughs> Came up with the concept of pulling kids into the show where we we basically shark tank the kids and we pick one of the best ideas, you know, and it's been kicked around like we make the kids inventions. It's really we just make the kids fantasy toy, whatever the kids fantasy toy is, and we build it and the kid comes in on a big screen and each kid comes in. And then I do this kind of like a uh, like dating app thing where I sweep the kids away. I use this gesture. We came up with it in, in, in real time. I'm like. One of the guys says, just pretend like you're sweeping them off the screen. Like it's <laughs> So I just swept the kids off the screen as I didn't like them. And then we, we always knew each episode, like there was going to be one winner. We knew the winner, who it was going to be. Sure. Yeah. But we didn't know the five or six kids we interviewed that we were all going to be rejects. So we had no idea what they were going to pitch us. We didn't know where the comedy was going to go. And uh, it ended up being really funny. So we got into it. We got into it. We made a deal uh, to use the property. And it's funny because my barn wasn't really ready yet. Yeah, I was wondering about that because it looks yeah, like so good. Thank you, thank you. So going into March, it's really funny. It's very serendipitous. I was just starting to build the inside of the barn anyway. I didn't yeah. really know the show was going to be shot or not. So when they called in February, I'm like, yeah, we want to try and kick this up. We're thinking about maybe shooting in April, and it was all still very touch and go. And you know how TV is, unless they're actually there with the camera shooting you. Sure. You don't know if it's even going to happen. And then yeah. once that's all done, you don't know if it's even going to air. Right. It could be just sitting, sitting in a camera forever. So I started building out the interior of my barn just because I got a bump in cash. And I was like, let me just use this to finish the barn Yeah. in case the TV show does happen. And my carpenters, local guys came together and I was like, you yeah, guys, if you guys give me a quote for building out the barn and we were going to do it in plywood and we couldn't get plywood. We couldn't get anywhere. We, we couldn't get anything other than underlayment, which obviously doesn't look very good up on sure. the walls. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to use plywood because I knew that we would need to kind of still do some electrical installs. And, you know, I just wanted to keep the, the walls liberal so that I could actually rerun electric if I needed to. Yeah. We still you wanted can to screw to floor. it and attach whatever you want. Yeah. To, yeah. Right. And uh, so on a whim, one of my carpenters goes, hey, why don't we just use the wood from the sawmill down the block? It'll look like a barn in here. And I was like, oh, my God, why didn't I think of that? So we just went down to the sawmill and just kept buying truckloads of their wood as they were milling it and bringing it and putting it up on the walls. These guys did a fantastic job. They had laser levels so that all their screw holes would be all in line. They did a really meticulous job. They built out all the window frames. That's awesome. And when the TV guys came, they were still they were halfway done, which the TV guys would just come and scout and lay out and think about the lighting and stuff and the electrical. So then when we got started by April 14th, was like the big that was our first shoot day. The two weeks before that, all the team was there running wires, running lights, and it was crazy. It On was the really construction crazy. side, not the TV. This is like finishing the, the barn itself. No, the TV people were here oh, for gotcha. at least like seven to ten days before because we had to run. We put two 53-foot trailers in my backyard. You've been in my backyard. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw some of it in the drone shots. I'm like, wait a second. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> two 53-foot trailers, a, a full-on bathroom trailer. Yeah. We I made an agreement for them to rent the property and, and the workshop, but... The house wasn't part of it. And they didn't care. They didn't need the house for anything. 
And we ended up shooting all the uh, third acts of each episode in the yard, yep. running around in the grass and being silly. So you you saw you saw the you saw the episodes, right? I've seen a couple. Yeah, I haven't got through the whole series yet. I just I got yeah. it like a week ago. But I've I've seen uh, I've seen the first two. I think the uh, dinosaur uh, taco toilet and uh, the unicorn uh, bicycle race. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those <laughs> so are awesome. Stupid. Yeah. So it ended up being I I was a little I was a little embarrassed about the whole concept when Mike pitched the idea and we went down the road to try and come up with this idea instead of doing what we were originally planning, which would be building things for fans. And uh, when Mike pitched this idea, I was like, I don't know, it sounds kind of hokey. And then when we got into it, it felt a little hokey. But then I kind of took I took comfort in the idea of knowing this was basically a cartoon for kids. Yeah. We got to be as silly as we wanted to be. And Mike and, and Todd, the writers and the directors, were really funny. They were so funny. They really... They really got a lot out of us. And we, we bonded so heavily on set. All of us bonded, just laughing, being silly, being stupid. We're all friends. You know, we all came to this thing as friends from the very beginning. And so it was just like the best summer camp that anybody could have went to. And yeah. it was just so much fun. It's funny you say that because that was always like when I when I come to your place for this old house, like yeah. we, we would joke that it was summer camp for us, too, because there were, oh yeah, you guys got to just kind of be like on set, and not deal with anybody or anything. Oh, and and just hang out, and and it was like because we'd come for like three or four days at a time, and just like yeah. be focused on that one thing. But it was also, um, and I'm, I'm sure it had this vibe just from watching, um, what you know how how making fun ended up like because you're a YouTuber and and everyone else on that team is, mm-hmm. you guys are always thinking kind of on the same level as us on the producing side, you know, where yeah. it was always like, oh, we should put a camera here. You're like, no, no, you want the camera here. And it was like, okay, like, yeah, let's try that. Hey, why don't, why don't you try strapping a GoPro to this? And it was like, okay, yeah. Oh, you know, it was yeah. just, you, you were you what, always one up in us. So. had so much fun. And we were all like, Paul Jackman's very good at his, uh, doing his own DP stuff. And- sure. And just ideas, silly ideas. We they went through all of our videos, and for the most part, Paul Jackman stuff got knocked off the most. Yeah. And uh, it was crazy because Paul Paul would always say, "I'm not allowed. I I can't think when I'm in this room because you guys are gonna steal my thoughts." Because they kept like <laughs> pulling up like a clip of Jackman, like he he does this thing where he uh he has like a piece of wood with a thousand clamps on it, and then he kind of like drops it, and all the yeah, clamps fall off. Totally. And it's seamless and he's got all these camera tricks. And so he was recreating some of those for the episodes. Yeah. I noticed a lot of like, he does a lot of like perspective shift stuff too, where like, you know, people look massive or they look teeny tiny or, you know, some of those kind of trick things. I noticed a lot of that, you know, flicking people with fingers and just, yeah. Oh yeah. They got, they got a Mike O'Dare, the producer, the, the executive producer found a guy online. He, Mike is great. He's just great at sniffing out talent. Yeah. And he found some guy on Instagram that just does all these transitions he kind of—I don't want to say he's exactly like Zach King, but he's like Zach King in the way that he just comes up with all these crazy concepts, and he really dissects like the motion and like you know using uh, I don't know, Cinema 4D. I forget what he uses. What is yeah. that? What is that graphic program? That, that yeah, Cinema does? 4D is one of them, certainly. Yeah, and, yeah. and or After Effects or After Effects. He yeah. does a lot of stuff with After Effects, and there's like uh, he does like these loops. Where there's one loop we shot where I like I walk up to the camera and then I cut and I like lean back and I put myself down and then I come back up and then it's just yep. a loop and I just keep walking. So I haven't seen it in, I saw the one he did in his Instagram and a, a, several of these, he would tell Mike what he needed and we would shoot those weird little scenes and give him the footage. And then from that, he was able to create the loops and the stuff like we get hit with a wrench and then we all fall backwards against the wall. Yeah. Yeah. All these crazy things. There's one thing where like Pat, Pat's head blows up and like he sticks the air gun in his <laughs> mouth and pulls the trigger and his head explodes. There's so many funny things. So it was really cool. Like when 
different since Jackman was busy doing something that was kind of taking some time. Mike would put a, put together all of us and well, come on, we're going to shoot this thing. It's going to be a transition. And then one day we'd show up and they'd be green screen. And he's like, okay, I want you guys to run through and just look up like somebody's coming at you. And we yeah. just all like, we didn't know where it was going to be. And you know, that's us like somebody's coming down us with a hammer or something. It's an interesting mix between kind of like it's a very real and grounded show, but then it does have these, as you say, kind of cartoon elements to it that just make it, you know, it amps up kind of the level of fun. And even just like when I saw the trailer, I'm I'm working on a project right now, a pilot thing, and uh, we've been trying to figure out like what the pitch reel should look like. And I sent that around. I'm just like, okay, so my friend Jimmy just made this. He posted it online. I watched this. I said, I want to watch this show. I showed it to my wife, who's not into home improvement stuff or building or anything. And she's like, this was oh, a couple I, weeks ago. Yeah, this was, like, yeah, like a month or so ago. Started. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I showed my wife and she's like, I want to watch that show. And she's like, we got to watch that show with the kids. They're going to love that. Like in a minute and 10 seconds or whatever the promo is, like you yeah. get it. <laughs> you want to watch yeah. it. And you just, yeah. it's this like endorphin high of just like, oh my God, like it's just fun. Right? Yeah, Mike is, Mike is unbelievable. Mike had this whole vision. Mike O'Dare, I give him all the credit because he created this atmosphere. It's like where the monkeys, where like the banana splits, where like Sid and Marty Croft, yeah. like all these things that came before us. And it's just so much fun the, the way he shot. And it's crazy because like, I, I, you know me, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. Sure, Paul Jackson's yeah. a filmmaker. And John Graz, the little guy, is also a filmmaker. Derek is learning filmmaking. Derek just started getting into social media. And Pat Lapp also has done some really cool camera tricks. And so we were all like 100% invested in all these silly things. Yeah. Once we like bought into the premise and we realized we're just making a, a real life cartoon. Let's just have fun with it. And we just were all in. Yeah. I, I didn't even think of the monkeys until you said that. And it's just like, oh, yeah. yeah, that like just a group of guys just being silly and having fun. And like, you yeah. never know which way is up. It's yeah, yeah. so cool. There's a little pushback because what, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that we are all real friends. Like the five of us got cast together as friends. Yeah. There was a couple of other people in the cast, but they ended up one person decided to split and the other person just didn't work out a contract or something. But uh, we were all friends going into it. Actually, it was the five of us. And when we shot the very first pilot, they said, let's bring in other people. We need more people. For the, it was going to be on Discovery at first. And that was with the original premise. Yeah. So we pulled in two other friends. And then when we ended up getting through the new concept, we need we didn't need those two anymore. At least the network didn't. You know, we fought for them. But it just worked out for the best, ultimately. But it was back to the original five of us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, some people are pushing back. Like, it was a perfect opportunity to cast this type of person and that type of person. Like, you know, so you're getting some pushback online. But at the end of the day, we're all real friends. Yeah. And like we weren't cast, the five of us weren't cast together. We five hang out from time to time. We all don't live in the same place. So whenever we had like an event, like a make camp or, or workbench con, we would all hang out. That's how we ended up in a photograph online that a casting director saw. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, I want, like, I'm so curious the origin of it. Like where did the nugget of this idea come from and how did it kind of evolve into what it became? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scattering the story. So Paul Jackman hit his 100,000 subscribers. So he wanted to celebrate that and make a video. And he asked me if I would be in the video. I said, sure. I said, I'm going to spend this weekend, particular weekend. Derek's going to be with me. He said, I'll bring Derek along. And that was Derek was kind of a new friend. I had only met him a year before. And these guys knew who Derek was. They didn't know him extremely well. And so me and Derek went to the YouTube studio in Chelsea Market yep. in December of 17. And we met Paul Jackman and John Graz, who were friends. 
and Pat Lapp, who had just flown in from Montreal, because they were all friends online. So it was me and Derek as a group of friends, and those three as a group of friends. We all knew each other, but you know, like yeah, they were, they like were a little bit more yeah, clicky, yeah. and me and Derek were clicky, and we had we met a few times. But this was the first day all five of us hung out. We did a couple of little funny scenes for Jackman's 100,000 subscriber video. And in that video, Paul Jackman made a, a big Adirondack That's, chair. I was just thinking, it's the, it's the picture in the chair, right? I remember that picture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. so he, we put that chair together or something like that. I don't even remember my part in the thing, to be honest. And once the chair was all put together, we took a couple of stills sitting in it. And the couple of those stills ended up online. One of them was on Jackman's Reddit. And a casting agent, uh, Lauren, saw it. Uh, I wish I could remember Lauren's last name. Lauren saw it. She was working for Intuitive Entertainment at the time, and she she reached out to Jackman and she said, "Would you guys be interested in you know calling me and let me know what your story is for a TV concept? We don't know what this is, but we just like the way the five of you look." <laughs> and uh, that's really where it began. Just that little that was the beginning. And then here's a funny story. So this summer will be my 20th anniversary of my very first TV show. Oh wow! And that TV show was Trash to Cash with yep. my brother John. Yeah. That show was shot by Hollick and Healy Entertainment, and the director was a guy named Kevin Dill. And so Lauren works for Intuitive Entertainment, and she brought back the picture of all of us. And Kevin Dill was the director of that show that they shot 20 years ago. Yeah. And I haven't seen Kevin since the last day of shooting. Yeah. 20 years ago, <laughs> the summer of <laughs> 2022, uh, 2002. Kevin is now one of the co-owners of Intuitive Entertainment. So he saw me in the picture. He's like, I know that guy. Oh, Put yeah. him on the phone. So Kevin's like, hey, it's Kevin. I was like, oh, my God, I, what are you doing? He's like, yeah, I'm co-owners of Intuitive Entertainment. We like this picture, you guys, and we know we, we follow, you know, they did research on all of us at this point. So he said, well, let's try and figure out what to do. First pitch was to Discovery, just as us as a group making things. Yeah. And then Discovery passed on it. And then, like I said, Michael Dare re- basically re-engineered the show to what it is today. And that was through Intuitive still, and, yep. and then they pitched it to Netflix. Stories. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we made a pilot for Discovery, just like a sizzle. Not a really a pilot. It was more of a sizzle. They shot it on my property, which kind of created the property as a character in the show. Discovery passed on it ultimately. That was like in going into like 2018. They passed on it like in the fall. No, sorry. In this, this is in the fall of 2019. Things stretched on forever. Yeah. So in the fall of 2019, Discovery passed on it, and then. Uh, it took some time for it to end up at over at Netflix. And then the timeline was such that, uh, you know, going back and forth on a few ideas. And then we finally started shooting April, 2021. It's so funny because I feel like people don't realize just how much work goes into it and kind of all the different dead ends and, you know, like twists and turns. And we're talking about comparing it to nailed it. And kind of like, I feel like if, if this hadn't gone to Netflix, and if Netflix hadn't have had such a success with, you know, if this was four years mm-hmm. earlier or something, yeah. like, I don't know that people would have gotten the concept, you know, if, right, it, if right. it was the concept that it is now, you know, like yeah. at different stages, yeah. it was different things. But it's just, yeah. it's kind of funny how that timing works out that, you know, like, okay, this yeah. is the moment for this show, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just so silly and so stupid. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because like the, the, uh, the pitch materials when Mike started developing the concept was basically Shark Tank. And, you know, Ellen DeGeneres interviewing kids about their inventions and her yeah. being like kind of snarky with the kids. And that's what Mike developed this idea that I'd be like a snarky, like I, I, I personally can't stand having the kids. I don't want kids around me. I, I mean, of course, I love my nieces and nephews. And when there's a kid around me, I like to have fun and play with them. But the thought of me having a child of my own is just like me and Taylor just go, thank God we're never going to have kids. Right. Never. You know, I mean, I'll adopt, a, you know, an adult before I adopt. <laughs> like I literally take and you remember Willie. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I took in Willie, sixty-five-year-old homeless man, he lived with us for seven years. You know, I'll adopt Willie before I adopt a child. <laughs> me and Taylor keep joking. Like we both right now have no interest in children, but there'll be a moment in time where, like, I I think a child will come into my life, like as an adoptive situation, not necessarily natural birth, and a child will come to me, and and I'll raise that child as my own me and taylor will that's yeah. kind of like what we've always wanted to manifest we never really wanted to have our own child we bring in child from you know god forbid ukraine or something you know yeah. even when the mexican border crisis was going on taylor's like i'm gonna put our name in for a child i was like all right yeah. as long as he's not a baby <laughs> he's bigger than an infant that's okay it's but a that didn't happen like I know for me, I was kind of in the same boat and just like, you know, I, I, I guess I didn't care either way. It was kind of like, okay, you know, I could take it or leave it. You know, I, I wasn't yeah. opposed, but I wasn't like one of those people. It's like, I have to have kids. And my wife one time was just like, I feel like it's our moment. Like we got to do this. And I was like, all right, sure. And and I've loved it. I, I, my my daughter's going to be nine and my son's going to yeah. be six. And, you know, it changes you. Well, at my age now, Taylor's younger than me. Sure, yeah. Considerably younger than me. But at my age, like, whatever she wants. You can yeah. have. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, what am I going to, I'm going to go to college at this age? I'm done. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to ask you too, just about, you, you talked about shooting it, you know, at the farm and just kind of what an integral part of just the Jimmy Duresta experience. I mean, like for me, I remember that, like that first time I met you in the workshop and, you know, we kind of hung out and talked and um, we're practicing welding and stuff. And it oh, felt, yeah, yeah and, and I don't know if you remember this, but like it felt like the day was kind of waning and it was like, okay, like we've done our thing. And then you were kind of like, uh, well, do you want to check out my house? And me and the producers were just like, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we did. Like, and there was something about going to your house that day. And like we shot a couple times at your house too at like, it it unlocks something different than I don't know. Do you still have the shop like down the street, the other place, or are you? Yeah, in the bar I now? do. I okay. do. Yeah, I still. Yeah, I have the the we call it the dirty shop. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like an old beat up metal building. Right. And that's where I can keep my extra cars and my my half built machines. They're all kind of hanging out. It's kind of like a junkyard over there. <laughs> then I have my house, the backyard, the barn where the the show is shot in the barn and on the property here. And, yeah. Uh, you know, this place has always been such a special place. I got this place by accident, kind of. My dad called me one day in the summer of two thousand and four, and he said. Because I just bumped into a friend at the credit union. He's selling his rental property in upstate New York. It's 20 acres and it's it's an old antique farmhouse. It looks like something you'd be interested in. He goes, I grabbed the uh, the paperwork on it because he was like handing out little printouts yeah. trying to find somebody to buy the place. And I had just done two years earlier, like I said, I had done the show Trash to Cash with my brother. So the owner of the house was a friend, acquaintance of my dad from the Knights of Columbus Credit Union. And same as John. And when I met John on the phone, he's like, he goes, I love that show you do with your brother. It was so much fun. He goes, I would love for you to get this house and be able to fix it up because it'd be the perfect house for you. And he's already pitching me the house because he's like, he knows, he like knows my creative point yeah, of view yeah. and he, he's seen what I've done on TV. And and when I met John, he was great. We're still friends. He's, he's a great guy. I, I did. I never bought a house. I had no idea what it was going to take. And this was before the, the market crash. So I was able to buy the house. Ultimately, I was able to buy the house, no money down. Oh, wow. And I got the house quite literally with no money down. I bought the house. It was already, the value of it was already inflated. I was able to take out a full mortgage for the full amount. And when I got the house, I took out a home equity loan against it. To wow. To start doing some improvements. Yeah. Yeah. I refinanced since I got it. And then I ended up buying the property next door. So I refinanced in 2006 and I bought the 20 acres beside the house. So the house is on 40 acres. And the so the house is on the 20 acres and then the barn the new b- the barn that we do the show in is just over the property line in the second 20 acres, but it's all mine. So. Yeah. 
That's wild. Now, and, and you weren't even living there full time. I mean, like, I feel like when no. you and I met, which I feel like it was 2014, 2015, something like that, like, here. I think you just moved up there, like, full time. Well, I moved up here full time in 2017. 2017. So I think okay. we met that summer, yeah. Because, I, yeah, it was, we met when I first had that black, I mean, the metal, the metal, yeah, yeah. the dirty metal building. That's, yeah. So that was, I put that, I rented that in in this, the beginning of the summer of 2017, and I've had it since. Wow. It's a great spot. My landlord's always been really good to me. He's, you know, I pay my, I pay a couple months ahead of time and he's, he, he likes me. Yeah. He's, he's not kicking me out. But it's, it's so interesting just that they chose to make the farm such a central character and, and the barn. It, like it's, I don't know. It, it just, it, I, I can't imagine anything Duresta branded that's not in some way involving that. How, and just, yeah, I don't know the porch and yeah. there's, just, there's something magical about that place. I don't know what it is. It, there is right. It, there really is. And then before I became you know YouTube famous, I had so many wonderful weekends at this house with friends and family yeah. that came up and spend the weekend. So since I've owned the place, it's funny. People have this misconception that I got on YouTube and I got a young girlfriend in a cool farmhouse. I had both of them <laughs> before I was ever on YouTube, ever before I ever met you guys. So I was just, I was just lucky, but uh, the house awesome. has been great. It was always a struggle when I first owned that. I mean, it was just like I had rents, I had two rents in New York city and I had the mortgage payment. So it was always a struggle, but now I don't, I no longer have any ties to New York city anymore. I'm just up here full time. Yeah. I saw recently you moved your PO box, which I feel like was like the last, I remember you were giving out like a, like a, a New York city PO box for a long time, still even after you moved. Right. And yeah. Yeah. I just gave those. it up. I let it go. Whoever mailed anything, they probably got it back. Yeah. <laughs> it was just because of COVID. I stopped going to the city because yeah. like, I didn't know if I was going to go to the city and get stuck there. You know what I mean? There was even talk of them closing the bridges and tunnels oh, wow. at one point. It was crazy. It was such a crazy time. We didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. It's funny too. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but like for me, I feel like my world has gotten really small and like, yeah. I'm very happy about that. Honestly, Yeah. It wasn't until COVID kicked in that I, I honestly, I've been on YouTube now for 10 years. I don't think I did a video a week until COVID kicked in. That's when I really actually kicked in a schedule that like almost every Saturday I post a video. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's, that's been yeah. consistent for the last two years because I haven't had to go anywhere. You know? Right. We just recently, our last weekend, I didn't post a video because I ended up going to like one of the first events since COVID is semi kind of waning is Workbench Con where a bunch of YouTubers get together, social media influencers, they meet brands. And it's really a place for like freshman influencers to meet senior influencers like me and yeah. shake hands and talk and stuff. So it was a, it was a good event. Nice. First time it's been canceled for two years in a row. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you too, just on kind of COVID and the farm and all that. Like, there's there's a piece of the intro of making fun where you talk about kind of getting out of the city and and moving up to the farm, and I feel like that has become kind of a COVID fantasy for people of like just yeah. wanting to to get away from it, have space, have acreage, and and be your own boss too. I feel like it's another big narrative. You know, they talk about like the Great Resignation and all this. People quitting their office jobs and you know, yeah. growing food or whatever, like as somebody who's done that, as somebody who has been his own boss now for a long time, like, yeah. would like, do people ask you about just like, can I do that? And what do you tell them? Well, a lot of people always say, what's property like up there? I was like, it, it, you know, it used to be cheap. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be plentiful and it used to be cheap, but not so much now. You know, you kind of missed the boat. I got very lucky by being able to get this house and then a year or two later getting the property beside it. We look at other things. I actually did buy. Uh, do you guys remember the racetrack? I don't know if I. Oh yeah, across the street. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I ended up buying the racetrack, really just for property. Now, I'm not going to open a racetrack business. It's an old go kart amusement park, 
and I kept it for fun every so this July 3rd I'll have friends and family come up and we'll do a, like a, anybody can bring their own go-kart for the day we'll barbecue and have a little flea market in the driveway there and just just to hang out just kind of like an I'm trying to start a traditional fan hangout that's awesome. The first one was COVID. The second one was COVID. The third one hopefully will be, you know, completely no COVID. Yeah. They've seen a lot of people move up here. I personally haven't interacted with anybody that's had problems, but I remember seeing this big article in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal saying all these country, you know, it's basically Green Acres, all these people yeah. that are used to city living, not having to worry about how the heating system works, not having to worry about any of these type of complications that come with an old farmhouse. And they're, you know, frozen pipes and the heating system failing in the middle of the night. What do you do with it? How do you even maintenance certain things like you, know, you got to fix your own toilet? These guys have been in their apartment now that they have to figure out how to fix an old toilet with old right. lead pipes. So, you know, some people bought new houses, but a lot of people bought old farmhouses. And so it was like a very steep learning curve for a lot of people. Yeah. What about the piece of, of being your own boss too? Like just, you know, that, I feel like that's the fantasy for everybody too, is like, yeah, I, I don't want a nine to five. Yeah. I've always worked for myself. I mean, I, I never really had a job. I was always very lucky to always position myself. So from like 1990, right when I got out of school, 89, 90, I was started in the soy business with a teacher friend of mine, got me in the soy business. Yeah. And me and my brother got in it together. I brought him into the toy business and he made so many contacts. He's that type. He loves the gift of gab. He has the gift of gab. And we made so many contacts and we started pulling in like a draw. Like, okay, you give me 2000 a month and I'll help you develop your products. You give right. me 5000 a month and I'll help you with packaging products and samples. And that was what my life was in the toy business for years. So on any given month, I was just drawing like three or four or five, six, in some cases, more than that salaries from various different clients. And I never really, I did do piecemeal, of course. I started doing interior design work as well. And that was like, how much the budget for kitchen cabinets? Okay, the budget's 15,000. You'll have them in three weeks. Yeah. That's it, I'll install them. And so I always work for myself. And going on to YouTube ultimately, well, going in and out of television was always a thing. So television idea would pop up, it heat up. All of a sudden we're shooting a pilot. All of a sudden it gets picked up. All of a sudden we have a schedule. And then I go back to my regular life because the show didn't catch. I did like six of those and none of them actually caught on. And then uh, the whole time, just developing my skills, developing, you know, being on a set, watching other people work. And then when I got into YouTube after my, my last big foray was a discovery show in 2010. When that didn't work, I just started working on YouTube. I was like, that's it. I'm never going to do a TV show again. I'm just going to do my own TV production. Yeah. And, you know, all the skills you learn from making samples and getting things done on time doing your own graphics and you know it's, it all goes into youtube and also kind of thinking product minded started making the ice picks and showing the ice picks more and more on youtube and then they became a product line then i made this giant razor blade kind of as a joke in a video and <laughs> yeah, it yeah. became one of my products and so all the while thinking of like how i could make a video that could ultimately become a product and that goes back to my toy business days designing and developing real products but now i'm branding myself and not trying to brand like a Mr. Potato Head or, you know, like in the toy business, you're always trying to go for the golden ring of like branding like a Barbie doll or a G.I. Joe or Mr. Potato Head or Hungry Hungry Hippos, all these brand names, you know. Sure, yeah. By accident, I got on YouTube and I branded myself. So anything I make that people know I've made that's come through my shop, I could sell because it's come from me. Yeah. So I'd be, you know, I kind of created, I've created my own fanfare just putting stuff on YouTube. But then there's this weird kind of ecosystem that you create too, where like you're making the videos, but then people see them and they want to commission you to do other work. 
it seems like primarily for brands, you know, you build out like a store display yeah. or, a, you know, a convention center booth mm-hmm. or whatever it is, you know, big yeah. props and, and things like mm-hmm. that. Like, how does how does that kind of work come in? And like, do you market yourself as doing that? Or is it just somebody sees that, oh, you did this for, you know, Bullet. So let me hire you to do it for, you know, this brand. Yeah, that that, is, that actually uh, has happened. When you start getting eyeballs on YouTube, you know this as well as anybody. Once you start developing eyeballs, you could basically, you could market yourself because you have these eyeballs in your corner. So yeah. the bigger, the more eyeballs you get, the more you could wear a certain type of clothing and get paid for it. Use a certain tool and get paid for it. So that starts happening. But then also Carhartt and Guinness come to me and they say, hey, can you make these things for us? And like now I'm getting paid physically for making the things. I made these big giant bars for some promotional thing they did. Yeah, yeah. They did a co-branding thing and they hired me to make. So I get paid to make them, which would be a substantial amount, whether there was cameras there or not. And then I get paid to make the video. And then also I'm getting paid for my celebrity because at this point they started seeing me as a celebrity, which was nice. So I'm wearing three hats. I'm wearing the celebrity, the builder <laughs> and the and the filmmaker. And, you know, so I get paid substantially for that as well. Yeah. So it, 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 it gets a little money. Sometimes out of nowhere, Bullet Bourbon's like, hey, can you make us 50 fake trailers for these retail stores all around the United States? I'm like, all right, cool. That'll be a great video. And that video that I did, these phony teardrop trailers that yeah. kind of they get cut in half and go against like a phony wall. Half the people that watch the video think I just made eight teardrop trailers because they don't they don't pay close attention. You know, the other half realize they're just store displays that look like that. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm like, hey, you guys mind if I make a video? They're like, no, we don't care. But I'm getting paid incredibly well to make those eight. You know, we came up with a number per trailer. You know, I made a lot of money that summer making 50 of those. Sure. That's... You know, they don't, you know, they're like, oh, if you make a video, that'd be cool. We'll show it around. But they don't care. It's yeah. not about the video. It's more about me delivering those products on time. But that's kind of the weird, like, I, I just wonder, like, to go to you as opposed to, you know, just... I don't know, some carpenter with a shop somewhere. Well, it's funny. Uh, the reason, and this is funny, because that, that's a, a marketing group that I work with. It's called Proof Media Mix. And uh-huh. I just built a trailer, like a rolling bar trailer. That's yeah, on, yeah. Like, I saw that. Mills, like, that's a real trailer. I got that job because last summer I made 50 fake ones. So, like, if you can make 50 <laughs> fake ones, you could probably make a real one. So like, hey, this client, this wine client came to us. They said, you want to know if you want to make a rolling bar? Or, or where I think you could make this rolling bar that they want this wine client saw in one of the big giant like home Depot versions of like a liquor store. Yeah. They saw this, this fake trailer. They asked the store clerk who made these, the, the store manager said, Oh, proof media mix makes some bullet bourbon proof media mix. Can you make me a real trailer? And they called me like, Jimmy, think you can make a real trailer. I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's figure it out. Let's make it. What's the budget. Okay, cool. I'll make it. That's wild. And I'm like, you guys mind if I make a video? They're like, sure. We don't care. As long as you think you can deliver it on this date. I'm like, okay, cool. I can put it. <laughs> And it works out for everybody then. And and then they yeah. get the added promotion, you know, when the video runs. So, it, you know, it's... Yeah, they yeah. get the added promotion. But then when I when I run the video, I'm also able to put like another ad client in the video. Right. Like, hey, oh, Alexa, sure. I'm going yeah, yeah. to be using it. And they're like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's great. Oh, you're making the trailer? That's awesome. What is it for? I go, it's for this wine client. It's like, great. Cool. Yeah. As long as you show a welder, then we don't care. So I get paid to do it. I get paid by Lincoln Electric. And then I get AdSense on it as well. So it's like, there's like income coming from every direction. Yeah. It's it's a smart business model and it works. It just it's worked out so naturally for me too. It's, it's the other thing. It's been so organic and I haven't had to like compromise my integrity or you know sell out to anybody. I mean, you sell out for money. I mean, you sell out the minute you're born. But right. you know, I haven't had to like build a trailer in somebody else's shop because right. it's more convenient for them. For instance, you know, like if that would have been the case, I'd have been like, eh, I don't need to do it. If I'm going to leave my house, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Um. 
speaking of travel trailers and stuff, I got to ask you here just because like I got into RVing this summer. I bought an RV, I used Winnebago cool. and just loved it. And like, it's, right. it's become my project. <laughs> but um, I saw your post on Instagram that you and Taylor uh, did a little road trip uh, with yeah. like a little, uh, not quite a teardrop, but um, with a yeah, little a travel like a, trailer. A, yeah. Like a Humvee style teardrop. It's yeah. like an all-terrain teardrop made by Oregon Trailer. These guys are incredible. Check out Oregon Trailers online. These guys are great. They four brothers. They have a company. They built. They started building these for themselves and their friends, and then now they're a big business. They sell these all over Europe and China. Rather, they sell a lot of these to Japan. Yeah. And so I bought one of them from them last summer. They they gave me a discount so that I could promote it for them, and I sent them pictures from all over the West and yeah, where, down mountains. And where'd stuff. you take it? I, that's what, I'm curious about that. We took it all the way out to Glacier National Park. Oh, we went nice. through Yellowstone with it. And, uh, you know, na- we try and find national parks. I'll tell you one thing. If you're going to try and go hop from national park to national park, make sure you make reservations and get there in the middle of the day. Because if yeah. you roll into a national park and one in the morning, try not to drive over any bears that are looking for food. Right. There's nowhere to park. Yeah. <laughs> the hard way. You don't have a bathroom on it i'm guessing right but you have a kitchen no, and no, yeah no. Bed and... it's just like we the back opens up you know we boil water you know make ramen noodles. We, never, we never really got to we, one one day of the 15 day trip we made eggs and you know we might have made i think we steamed rice one day just because you got a propane thing you, can, yeah, you yeah. can heat up water basically and you know but you're on the road unless you're quite literally like in the middle of nowhere which also is too scary in my opinion you know, you could pretty much find any place to eat. And we went to Jackson Hole, Grand Teton. Oh, I love it up there. We worked our way through Montana. I actually had a friend in Montana that I wasn't thinking about until I got home. I'm like, oh, I think my friend Ashley lives in Montana. So we called Ashley. She's like, come stay with us. So we went over and stayed with her. And uh, what's that first city in Montana coming up north out of uh, out of Yellowstone? Oh, is, is, is it Bozeman, Bozeman or Billings? Yeah, yeah Bozeman. Bo- okay. Bozeman, yeah. So we spent a couple of days with her and her husband and their child. We had a really nice time. And, then we just kept working our way north, and they said, hit, hit hit Highway 2 and then go back east on Highway 2 through all the way through Montana. Oh, wow. And that was fun. That runs on the north side of Montana. So we did that. You know, I was looking for old Chevys, and Taylor was looking for horses. We had <laughs> um, and do you have plans to take it out this summer? Do you know yet? Or? Yeah, 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 probably. I mean, you know, it's going to be a loose summer. I might ultimately end up doing making it season four with Nick Offerman if that, Ooh, if nice. that gets picked up. There's rumors that if, if it got picked up it would end up being shot sometime in may so if that happens then may will be booked but you know it's tv business everything's loose and free you don't know what's going to happen until you get the phone call a couple days before it's like okay the show's picked up drop every single thing you thought you were going to do for the next five weeks <laughs> about the hell yeah uh, well like you said with yeah same thing with making fun that you just you don't know until until it's happening we don't know yeah yeah we might uh they, there's like loose plans like if we were going to shoot this we'd shoot it again in august we shot from April till July, which was great because it was kind of cool when we started. It was sweltering hot when we stopped. And it would be nice if we saw it in August and then it would go to cool, you know, by the time if we were going to shoot until like October. Yeah. But, you know, that's just a, that's just a speculation. We have no idea what's going to really happen. Who knows? Well, yeah. congratulations on, on making Thanks, fun. Man. I love the show. Thank you. Um, it's, it's awesome. And I'm happy just... I feel like, and we've had this conversation, I think, before. I forget if we talked about it last time on the show, but we, we've definitely talked about it in person before. That just like a lot of the producers you've worked with in the past haven't gotten you, or, you know, the show concept yeah. is just twisted to you. And like, there's something, and, you know, the idea aside perhaps on this show, but I, there's something about it to me that just it feels very authentically you. And I dig that. Oh, and thank just you. like, I, you know, yeah. 
I hope I hope you feel that way too because it's you no, know I do I mean I had a stretch like that opening sequence we shot and yep. we had I had a stretch a little bit out of my comfort zone but you know what everyone keeps saying are you gonna watch this show you know I'm like I probably won't watch it like I'm like if really? you go if you all like it then that's fine I don't need to like it yeah it's <laughs> it's, it's funny just, because it's my comfort zone well all. but you you spend like you edit your own videos and stuff all day like you you see yourself perform like it's it's, I, it's well this is the difference i can edit out my oh. love hand, my bald spot <laughs> my fat back neck you know I <laughs> when somebody else edits me i'm completely in the round and That's i feel true. completely naked quite naked you know when you guys shot and edited me i was like feeling a little bit more healthy this show came up all of a sudden everyone's COVID fat i'm like oh god can i can we give us like two more months to lose like five more pounds <laughs> No, it's all good. It it, it works. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I've got nothing but compliments. You know, no one's come to me and said you look silly and stupid, but ultimately we know we look silly and stupid, and it's like implied that it's just, just fun. That's and the point. I just, you know, I just like I said, I got a little like a little bit of a ridge on it only because I just I'm outside my comfort zone. It's not just my hands speeded up, cutting, yeah. chopping, hammering, you know, which is very different for me. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But uh, you know, I love it, and I hope I hope it gets picked up for more, and I hope uh, I hope you. making it comes back too. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I'd be curious to see if making it comes back. If I'd have a bigger part, let's say the show does well, and then everybody wants to know more about me, and then they put me on making it season four, and suddenly they're like, "Oh, there's that guy that's walked behind the camera eighteen times. Get over here, come talk to the camera." Maybe maybe you switch, and Nick is the guy in the shop, and you're you're next to Amy the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, no. Thanks, man. Thanks for the support all the time. I mean, since we met, you've been so supportive. Yeah, I appreciate no, that. of course. I uh, I love what you do, and I, you know, I uh, I'm happy to see what feels like an upward trajectory right now. You know, that's that's a good thing. Thank you. All right, Jimmy Duresta there. Oh, how great is he? I love that guy so much. He is. Uh, he's always so generous, always so encouraging, and I feel that personally. But I know a lot of people in the maker and, you know, YouTube and Instagram community all feel that as well. So I hope nothing but success for this new show. I hope you check it out. Making fun. It's streaming on Netflix now worldwide. So wherever you are, go and watch it. I also should add Jimmy has a new line of products in Walmart stores. You can buy them in the stores or online. Uh, It's called Jimmy's Workshop. So check these out. These are great family-friendly products that you can build with your kids. They come in little kits. There's birdhouses and toolboxes and barns. And it's just, it's it's cool stuff. And I love that he's doing it. I love, uh, I love all of it, man. <laughs> Jimmy DeResta. I mentioned at the beginning, but I've been working on my newsletter a lot lately. If you're not subscribed yet, please go to heathrasella.com slash newsletter and your email address there. And you will get a weekly newsletter from me, sometimes related to the content of the show, sometimes related to other things I'm thinking about. But it's a, it's a space that I've been exploring a lot lately and I'm pretty excited about. If you haven't checked it out before, please go and do that. And please subscribe to the podcast or, you know, go and follow me on social media as well. I'm at Heath Rosella on both Twitter and Instagram. I will talk to you all soon. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for your support over the last two years. It has meant the world to me. And uh, we'll talk sometime soon. Stay safe.